Hello. I am out tonight. It is a lot warmer. Not near as much squeaking as there normally is. But in a new development, um, my wife is coming along to take the walk with me. And uh, she's making it clear that she wants to be part of the audience, not part of the participant. I, and uh, I am delighted to have her along. And uh, I also understand that she would prefer not to, to make comment. But I will tell you that if she chose to, um, she, has, she has lots that's worth hearing. So maybe coming along will be a start of something. Uh, but for us, at least, it's a walk, and uh, as I've mentioned many times before, just the, the format that I would most like to share podcasts in is walking and talking with someone. So it's a great, it's a great pleasure for me to have her along. She's tiptoeing down the steep part of the hill because uh, it has warmed up. If you are listening to this not in cold weather, there's an odd thing you may not know about snow, and that is as snow warms up, it gets slipperier. And so the snow, when it's squeaky, is very less slippery than snow on a day like today. It's, I don't know, in the 20s. So she is tiptoeing down the hill, and we are holding hands, walking together, looking forward to tonight's topic. Tonight, I want to talk about what, what I'm calling procedural crimes. Um, and, and I want to talk to uh, about two in particular, because I have found... Um, sort of some evidence of of these two um, in some in, a, in an odd way. So, uh, so I'm talking about some specific situations that I have encountered, um, but that, that I, I want to talk to them in the scope of something bigger. So I'm going to start out and suggest that as a premise for this discussion. I am going to make an assumption, and the assumption is that there are there are such things as procedural crimes, and by that I mean not legally crimes, but but morally, it can be wrong. Um, something can be wrong because of the way that it was brought about, and. Uh, that is that, that even though you could measure what happened and say, well, the, the right thing happened, or at least what happened isn't terribly egregious, but you could say, well, the way in which it happened outweighs um, the way in which it happened outweighs the the thing 
that happened. I, I, that was not clear. It, it's the idea, I'm jumping ahead, but it's the idea that, um, that the outcome, the end would justify the means. And I have to take it at this point as an assumption. Um, sometimes it does seem like the end would justify the means. Um, and yet we have certain categories of things that, that we um, identify as problems because of the way in which it happens. And, and the two that I want to look at tonight are specifically tyranny and manipulation. So, so tyranny suggests that the way in which you exercise authority can be wrong regardless of the um, outcome of how you exert that. Now, you could argue that, well, what's, what's rule for some is tyranny for others. And, and I would say, no, that's, that's not correct. Although, whose perspective on the authority is, you know, if, if the father says to the kid, you need to give half of that to your sister, to the sister, it feels like that is just rule. And, and to, the, to the brother, it feels like that is tyranny. But the, those are immature perceptions. Um, here's what I think rule is. Rule is the exercise of authority nested in the hope that the ruler is actually negotiating on behalf of the ruled. So, sort of like an, an archetypal picture of this is the king sends his tax collector to come and take um, 10% of your harvest. And that feels like tyranny. Um, but if, if it is nested in the hope that the king who has the freedom to investigate what's going on outside your farm, sees that there's a, a, a Danish ships that are plundering the area, and uh, well, we're going to a, I'm, I have nothing against the Danes, but um, I'm sort of going to an English um, an English scenario, an English feudal scenario, um, the situation is that the king who, because he has rule, I mean, because he has authority, is exerting that authority, and it feels to you like he's just coming and taking your grain. 
But if something in the character of the king or the situation reveals to you that the king may actually have an ability to know something about the threat posed by by kingdoms across the ocean, which you never see because you never leave the confines of your fields, that, that you can, even though you don't know this, there's the hope that the king is saying, I am, I am raising, taking your grain so that I can raise an army because that in the long run will be best for you. And so I am negotiating what is best on your behalf, though you can't know it. And, and I describe one sort of archetypal picture, but the idea is that there would be hundreds of other pictures of, of times where the exertion of the authority would be nested in the hope that the the ruler is actually doing what is best for me. And even that isn't quite it. It is that the ruler is conducting a negotiation on my behalf. That the king isn't saying, well, that's what I want, so I should get it. The king is saying, that is what what you would want if you could see things from the perspective so I am going to call you to raise an army, to, to contribute to raising of an army because you would want an army to protect you if you knew what I knew. I think my wife was going to say something. Oh, so... Uh, She's very good at finishing my sentences, not in a disrespectful way, but in the way that my head races on and I don't bother to bring my sentence to completion. I apologize for that. If you've listened long, you've gotten used to it, perhaps. And you're probably finishing them where you sit as well. So, so that is rule. So then what is tyranny? Well, I would say that tyranny is exercising authority, ignoring the negotiation on behalf of those under you. Could a tyrant do something that would benefit Yes, a, a tyrant could raise an army. And, and it's possible that a tyrant could raise an army. And the reason that he, ra- that he raised that army was so that he could continue to oppress me. And then the Danes attack, and it turns out that the army that he raised actually is the very thing that allows him to, to uh, protect the borders of my country from the Danes, and it would get very confusing to say, well, well, did he tyrannize me for my benefit? And I can't tell you the answer, okay? I, I, it's, I absolutely accept that just like any discussion of do the ends justify the means becomes 
a, a difficult question to answer. But I would say that when we speak of tyranny, we are talking about a procedural crime. Um, we are not saying that there isn't such a thing as rule. We are saying that the, the person in authority isn't ruling, but is tyrannizing. So, so they, are, they are doing what they determine is best, not what they determine is best for me. Okay? If they're doing what they believe is best for me or some large group of the people under them, then they are actually negotiating on my behalf. But if they are saying, I don't care what anyone else wants, I'm going to do what I want, then what they do is tyranny. So let's, let's bring it to, to earth. I encounter quite frequently, um, I will say I have encountered it more often in, in agreeable mothers who have allowed themselves to become consuming mothers. I have encountered mothers who say I couldn't possibly be tyrannizing my family because I'm so nice. And I wouldn't argue that they are nice. They are, they are very nice. Um, sometimes it's not their family. Sometimes it's other people who are involved with them. And they're like, I couldn't be a tyrant. I'm so nice. And yet, they are a tyrant. There is a... They are sure that they know what's best for you, that they don't even have to consult you. And, and so they say, you know, I am negotiating on your behalf, although I haven't taken the time to get to know you. I am positive that you would be a little copy of me, and this is what I would want if I were you, but I'm not you. And so I am going to, I am going to assume that I know who you are. I'm not going to take the time to get to know you, and I am going to make what I think should happen, happen. And... I am going to use whatever at my disposal to make it happen. And it is a frustrating tyrant to deal with. Now, I will tell you that that niceness, uh, Jordan Peters says it this way, niceness is a low-order virtue. Um, niceness is... Is oh I there, there, I I know what too nice is. I mean there is a there is a positive aspect of being nice, and that is somebody who is nice would allow people to be to be less than perfect. So, so the proper amount of niceness, although I think I would use the word it, talking 
I don't think that this is a universal understanding of the word. But when I talk, I would talk about somebody being kind. Somebody who is kind, who you know is kind, is someone who gives you the confidence to take off your mask. You're like, this is a kind person. I don't have to fake perfection around them. I don't have to fake... They will accept me even though I am less than the ideal. And I think that is a true virtue. Kindness is a virtue. Somebody who can say, you don't have to wear a mask around me. I will accept that you aren't perfect. And I will, I will treat you um, decently even if you, if you can't be perfect. The kind person allows you to be honest. But too nice is when you allow people to wear a mask, where, where you sort of agree that I won't challenge, I am so nice that I won't challenge the mask that you are wearing, even though I know it isn't who you really are. Now, I think that might be what I talk about tomorrow, is the, the phenomenon of what happens when you believe something, or when you pretend to believe something which you know is a lie, and how that crosses into self-deception, and how self-deception is one of the deepest ways to undermine um, your connection with reality. Um, yeah, that's a mouthful. I mean, that's a, that's a brainful. And I'm not talking about that tonight. So that is too nice. Okay, so coming back to what I'm talking about is somebody who says, well, I'm so nice, I couldn't possibly be, um, I couldn't possibly be tyrannizing. It, it's hard, it's, it's hard to, um, it's hard to combat that because they're saying, hey, what I am trying to make happen isn't for me, it's on your behalf. I, I want you to have what I think you would want. Only they forgot. They forgot to check whether I got a chance to even decide whether I wanted it. Um, and so you can see how often this would fit for a mother. For a mother who... She honestly does know her child very well. She actually probably could pick a good mate for her child. But as she tries to thwart her child's cho choice or the development of, of the child's understanding, to make the right thing happen without regard for what the child might need to go through to, to find out 
those things. Um, she, she loses sight. And so she says, well, the, the fact that what I am picking is, is what I want is irrelevant because it's what they should want. And I know that they should want it because I know them and because I want what's best for them. And, and it's like a huge percentage of her assessment might be right. But it's missing something very essential. And, and that is that she has taken over the role of negotiating on behalf of her kids without winning their trust. And, and so because, because she can say, I, I'm not trying to get my own way. I'm trying to get my version of what's right for you. It crosses into tyranny. And the child, rightly or not, but the child loses this essential nesting of hope. The child loses the, the, the sense that the parent, the, the child can no longer believe that, the, that it's nested in the hope that they are exercising their authority to negotiate on your behalf. Now, obviously, a lot of times this is going to happen when the, the child is crossing out of the authority of the parents. And that's a difficult time. Um, when parents start to see themselves losing their authority, they have a choice. And that is they could step up the things that give them influence in their child's life. Or they can try to, as they start to lose the ability to exert authority, they can resort to trying to become more crafty in the exertion of that authority. Um... And, and I would say to anybody who is a parent, um, start figuring out what things give you influence in your kids' lives. And treasure, treasure authority as a, a limited commodity. Um, absolutely use it um, but but use it as if it is I don't know all sorts of illustrations suggest themselves but use it as if you are the doctor on a an isolated island and you only have so much penicillin and and hoard it Hoard your authority and use as much influence as you can. Um, and it would be great. I think the ideal would be for your children to step out from under your authority while you still had some authority unspent.
unfortunately, I, I think what often happens when a, when a kid gets to that point in their life is that the kid the kid sort of starts a bidding war of saying, how much authority are you willing to spend to get me to do what you want to do? And you can spend up your, I mean, you can run out of authority very, very quickly over issues that probably aren't so vital that you actually could, how would I say it, that, that, that you could maybe actually say, all right, you know what, I will let you find out. You know, I thought I was negotiating on your behalf. And now you're saying, how much authority are you willing to spend? Tell you what, I'll let you find out. Um, because, because unlike the picture of the king who's got to fight off the Danes, I was simply negotiating. I wasn't negotiating to rescue you from pillaging Vikings. I was negotiating actually to make your life a little bit smoother, a little bit more comfortable. And so, um, I... I, I'll, I'll stop that. I won't use my authority. I'll, I'll let you go ahead and have the natural consequences. I, get, I, I imagine it sort of, I wrote it into a story, if you've read my um, Covenants book. I wrote it into a story about a parents uh, allowing their sons to buy, the, allowing their son to buy a car, which they knew was going to use a lot of, his resources to keep it going. And it was a rather short-sighted purchase, and, and yet they went ahead and let him, even though they did have the authority to say no, they went ahead and let him because it was a, a non-fatal way to allow him to, to realize that they had actually been wanting to negotiate on his behalf. Okay. So, so I, I've given a lot of ideas that might be useful in a lot of applications, but at the heart of it is this idea that you have to look at your rule. It, it would be best if you evaluated your rule and could point to the things in your rule which give your kids hope that you are ruling, not tyrannizing. And one of the things that I am convinced you can't use as an argument is you can't say, well, it can't possibly be tyranny. I'm too nice. The other procedural crime, it seems to often go hand in hand, and that is parents who manipulate. Parents who manipulate their kids, who try to, to say, my kid doesn't want this enough, so I am going to try to get them to want it. We, 
that is a parent who is saying manipulation isn't wrong if that manipulation is for their own benefit. But that's not the, the case for a procedural crime. We talk about manipulation as if manipulating is wrong. And again, you can, you can go down the pathway and say, well, maybe sometimes the end does justify the means. I'm making the assumption that there are procedural crimes, that there are times when the way in which you do things matters. But from a practical side, manipulation is particularly one of those things. Manipulation is one of those areas where if you say, well, you don't want this, so I am going to try to get you to want this, I think we'll spiral you into, um, into having to want things for your kids all the time. And having to want things for your kids is extremely tiresome. There may be some people who think they want to do it, but I guarantee they only want to do it for a little while. Um, and so that's one of the reasons that I, I bring this up, is that sometimes you'll think, okay, well, yeah, you know, I, I, I really know what's best for them. I'm not manipulating them to get what I want. I'm manipulating them to get what they should want. So, so what could be wrong with that? A, a, a mother who, who says, well, my, my son should be interested in young ladies, um, but he's not, so I will try to, to get him to be, well, that's, that's probably inaccurate. She's saying she, he should be interested in the kind of young ladies that I think he should be interested in. So I will try to, to get him to be. And somebody say, well, that, that's kind of pretty strong manipulation. And she'd say, well, that's not for me. It's totally selfless. Uh, maybe. I mean, I get the argument that it's selfless. You're not, you're not negotiating to get, you know not negotiating to get something you can sit down and enjoy but what you are negotiating is you're negotiating and saying look at if you don't want it enough I will I will contribute some of the want It is a, it was a defining, it, it, one of these situations in my life that was defined the, that issue for me in such a profound way. Um, and I'm really glad that it did. It happened in kind of an odd way. So I'll tell you the story. I was uh, involved in a church in Alaska. Um, I was in the army, a little bit older than a lot of the soldiers who who were my um, equal rank and so I I think I had kind of a leadership role 
And as a lot of them came to church, um, because I was married and, and had the family, um, and because my wife would make waffles for them and feed them, um, sort of had a group of young men who were, who were pretty excited about being involved in the church. And we found things to do that, uh, that drew in the young people. And so I, one of the big ones is we would play hockey. We'd go to one of the, the public rinks and we would play hockey and, and the high schoolers could come and the, the soldiers could come. And it was, uh, it was an appropriate setting for, for there to be a mix of young adults, including underage. Um, but I was, I was there keeping an eye on it, and I, I think it was a real healthy situation. Then, because of that connection, the youth pastor came to me, and he said, Jeremy, would you share with our youth group? Um, we sometimes like to, to meet in people's homes, and I, I was like, oh, we, I'd love that. Bring the youth group over to our place and I will share some stories from my my youth and, and uh, testimony, and then we'll have we'll have lunch. And that was a great plan. So I shared with these kids. They knew me from hockey and other things, and and they listened attentively. They're engaged. Then we Mary made food, and they were engaged in that. Um, I don't remember what we had. Do you? What? We had corn chowder and uh, breadsticks. She remembers. I don't. But so we had the meal, and then the youth pastor said, "Well, say, would you mind? We're going to have a business meeting. Um, but since we're here, do you mind if we just have it?" And I'm like, "No, not at all. I'll just sit back and observe." So the youth pastor. The youth pastor said to the kids, all right, summer's coming, and uh, we, are, we are looking for ideas of what we should plan for the summer. And these kids just shut down. And I was like, I know these kids. These are engaged. They're kids who like things. What's going on? And he said, well, let me review what we did last year. And he starts listing the trips and things that they had done the last summer. One I remember specifically was they had made a, a camping trip to Minnow Flats, which was like my dream place to go. Um, I'd, I had been out there once, the northern bite, like you get worn out catching northerns. It's just incredible fishing. and I'm like, oh man, I wish I could go. He listed about three, four other things and every one I was like, oh man, that would be so cool. And these kids like were totally unresponsive. And now my interest was piqued. I was like, what's going on here? He said, well, did you like those things? No response, very tepid response, if any. He's like, well, should we do more of that? No, nothing. And then he finally said, well, okay, I guess I'll sit down with your parents and, and try to come up with something. 
and it dawned on me. These kids were playing him. He was saying, if you don't want it, we'll want it for you. And the kids are saying, fine, you want the best that you can for us. And if I want to chip in a little bit of want, I will. But they were saying, I got to see what's on the table first. I could just imagine it over the years, right? These were kids who learned that, you know, they, they would have... They would have Bible study. And if they could act bored and uninterested for Bible study, they would get to have a video. And if they could act bored and uninterested during the video, they would get pizza after the video. And if they could act bored and uninterested when they're having video and a pizza, then they would get to go roller skating. That was a thing back when I was young. And if they could act bored and uninterested in roller skating, they'd get to go skiing. And if they could act bored and uninterested in skiing, they would get to they would get to go on a trip to Minnow Flats and on and on. And these kids have been taught that somebody else will want it for you. Now, is that a procedural crime? I think it might be. But the problem is it looks so much like you want good things for your kid. How could you be wrong? And my suspicion is that if you want good things for your kids, you will raise kids who are unable to want. And for some kids, wanting is a talent. They're good at saying, I want that, and I'm going to make these changes in my life so I can get that. But for some kids, wanting is a skill. And the way they're going to be good at changing their life to get something that they desire is if they are taught it little by little. And a parent can say, well, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to jump in. This is such a good thing, you should want it, and if you don't, I'll want it for you. I think that covers a lot of manipulation. Why is that manipulation so hard? Look, if my wife was trying to trick the kids into making her a cup of coffee and rubbing her feet while the other one did the dishes... It'd be like, obvious, oh, you're trying to manipulate them into doing something for you. And I would be very fine if my wife did that. I think the kids would actually, but that's not the point. The point is that she would say, oh, yeah, I'm manipulating because I'm trying to get something for me. But when you manipulate the kids to try to get something for them... It's so hard to pin that down as manipulation. And very often people say, well, that couldn't possibly be manipulation because I want things for them. Or the parent will say, it couldn't possibly be tyrannizing because I'm so nice. 
those are my ideas. We are back home. I got to go load the stove, so I'll give my wife a hug. And uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm sharing an idea that that the people who aren't doing it will recognize and the people who are doing it will not admit they're doing it. I, I, I don't know. But fortunately, I don't have to worry. Not that many people actually listen to this podcast. So we're in good shape. We have our stove to fill for the night. And uh, I get to each night evaluate my wood pile. And for once, I am pretty sure that my wood pile is going to last till spring. Feel free to end the podcast at any time. I promise I won't say anything that interesting. But I have to unzip my jacket and whatnot to get at my recorder, which is why I am putting you through this part of the talk. So if you like to hear the adventures of loading a stove, what you could envision right now is trying to put a big huge chunk of wood and I can only lift the back end and it's caught on something on the other side. Oh well. to the back so I got some problem well you know what I'm gonna not gonna be quick so I'm gonna stop my recording wish you happy trails thanks for joining me and my wife on our walk I can't even get my There we go. Here we are. Take care. Talk to you again.